When a loved one serves in uniform, members of their family almost always shoulder part of that burden. Whether it's a spouse raising a family alone while a service member is deployed, or the mothers and fathers who carry worry and fear while a son or daughter goes into harm's way. In these ways, military service is very much a family affair. In this episode of Veterans AZ, we honor Gold Star families. September 26 is Gold Star Mothers and Families Day. Gold Star families, spouses, children, parents, siblings, or others whose loved one died in service to our nation are part of our country's military community who have made an incredible sacrifice. It's a family nobody wants to be a member of, but we are. Enjoyed sports, normal boy stuff, but he's always making people laugh. Very good sense of humor. He was 18 when he joined. Uh, they had a recruiter at, at his school, and he came home and he said, Mom, I want to join the Navy. And I was hesitant about that, and so I went and talked to the recruiter. And I remember telling him, make sure you take care of my son. And he said, we will. When Brendan told me he wanted to be a SEAL, I was happy for him because I knew it was something that he wanted to do and I wanted to be supportive. Um, but at the same time, I was scared. I think he wanted to be where the action is and out in the field and helping others. Yeah, I think so. he loved to help people and that's what he did. It, he was excited. I mean, as soon as he got received his trident, he was ready to go and deploy. I, I was I was ready for him to go because I felt that the sooner he got over there, the sooner he was going to be able to get back to me. It was what well, really was hard on us because we went there. You know, we you know we took him to the ship and oh, I watched it sell off and saw a tear fall from his eye. He deployed on March 9th, which is my birthday in 2010. But I'll never, you know, I'll never forget those few moments before we left that day. And, you know, we always had this thing where we never wanted to say goodbye to each other because that seemed very permanent and very final. We would always say, see you later. Damaged in a terrorist attack in Yemen. American sailors were killed. I went into work. I walked in and I looked at the television because it was on. It was saying breaking news, you know, attack on the USS Cole. And so I went downstairs and I see two men come getting out of the car. One had, both of them have uniforms. And I know from TV that they, when they come to your house, they're not coming to tell you good news. And that's when they told me, Mr. McDaniels, he said, uh, I have to tell you that your son is dead. So that's how we found out. It's October 12th in the evening. Yeah, he had died. So this would have been their 59th combat mission on that deployment to Afghanistan. And um, they had a really successful deployment. They were ready to pass off to another SEAL team that came in. And on that mission, he lost his life there in Afghanistan in that helicopter. They were in a CH-46 and they that it was shot down, and all seven perished. I mean, it's very bittersweet because, of course, I would much prefer Brendan to be here 
today and every day going forward, but it also makes me very proud because I don't know many people out there that would be willing. I don't even know if I would be willing to go out there and put my life on the line. It's tough, you know, because you got your son buried out there and then you see many others buried out there, you know, when it's, there's so many and it's, it's sad. When we buried Manuel there, he was the last row and then 10 years later now, there's like 15 more rows of graves that people have served and lost their lives. I couldn't ask for a better son. He was really a good son. I mean, I can't think of anything bad I can say about him because there, there wasn't any. We're proud of him and everything he did. He saved a lot of lives while he was here. My perspective in life has really changed and I value and appreciate people and I appreciate the chance to just be able to experience life. And even though it's a different version of life, it's still something that I'm thankful for. And I know I have that chance because men like Brendan and, and men and women that serve in the military selflessly put their lives on the line each and every day so that I'm able to do that. I'm glad he did what he did as far as serving because that's what he wanted to do because I wouldn't want anyone else to go through what I went through and the other family members went through because we went through a lot. I don't want anybody to understand it because I think in order for you to truly understand it, you have to experience it yourself. So I want them to just see Gold Star family members as strong and resilient and wanting nothing more but then to carry on um, their loved one's legacy. We don't want them to be forgotten. We want them to stay alive in our memory and in the memory of generations well beyond our years. I was honored to speak with two Gold Star family members from Arizona whose loved ones were lost in Korea long ago, but who carry their memories each and every day. Lieutenant Charles Garrison was flying his Corsair fighter from the USS Boxer when he was shot down May 18, 1951. He is still listed as missing in action. In 1951, Private First Class Daniel Hunt and his younger brother John left for Korea on the same troop ship. Sadly, only John would return.
Daniel would be missing in action for 65 years. Janice Curran, daughter of Lieutenant Charles Garrison, and Deborah Gauthier, Daniel Hunt's niece, joined me for a moving conversation. I'm here today with Janice Curran, daughter of Lieutenant Charles Garrison, United States Navy, a fighter pilot lost over Korea May 18th, 1951. Right, Thank you for being with us, Janice. Thank you for having me. And also with us is Deborah Gauthier, uh, the great niece of Private First Class Daniel Hunt, United States Army, who was listed as missing in action in Korea and ultimately determined killed in action in Korea uh, at the Battle of Heartbreak Ridge, September 28th, 1951. Thank you very much for being with us. You're welcome. Janice, can you tell us a little bit about your father? Um, yes, he, um, he joined the Navy um, right after World War II started, right after Pearl Harbor, and um, uh, stayed in the, got through World War II just fine. Um, when the war was over, he was stationed in Florida with my sister and mother, and then when I came along, he decided to leave the Navy but stay in the, um, in the reserve so that he could fly every other weekend. He loved to fly. Um, and then just two years after I was born, two or three years after I was born, um, of course he was called back. Um, and his unit um, in Olathe, Kansas, they named themselves the Bitterbirds because they were not that happy about going back to war <laughs> after, so soon after World War II. I imagine that's the case. So you being so young, uh, you may not really have any memories of your father. No, no, I don't. My sister has a few memories. I always wonder which is worse, to have a, a memory or two or nothing at all. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to say. So. And, and so that must have been difficult growing up, uh, knowing that your father was lost. Yes, it, I think what my mother always um, told us was just that he died. We didn't know, I didn't know that he was missing. Um, I didn't know they didn't find his body. And to me, daddy was just a picture on the mantle um, or in the window seat. Uh, and so I think, I think we got along fairly well. Um, although when I was about 16, I found the story that was written about him by another pilot that was with him and saw him, his loss. And I realized he's still over there somewhere. And that's when I, I think I started wondering what I could do, how I could find out there really wasn't any way then until um, we moved to California and I got my first computer I think in 88 or 89 and I started surfing the surfing the web and found the Korean War Project and I got a lot of information from them and then they introduced me to the um, DPM or uh, DPAA now the Defense Prisoner of War Accounting Office that was just right the year after they started these family updates. They'd go to different cities um, and invite people in the area or within maybe a 200-mile area who had missing loved ones. And it's just grown and grown. It's, it's huge now. Um, I, I can't remember how many people uh, attended the last one, but the first attendance was maybe 50-something, and now it's four or 500. So. Well, There's still a lot of us interested in what's happened, what's, what's happened to them. Absolutely. It's, uh, I'm, I'm sure it's a memory and, and um, something of importance that's never far from, from the front of your mind. Yeah. Uh, Deborah, your great uncle, Daniel Hunt, uh, went off to serve in Korea with his brother, John. Two brothers. Two yeah. brothers. Mm -hmm. um, well, two, two went together. They, they joined together, and they vowed they'd come home together, and they didn't. Sherman 
Sherman and Charles are the two brothers that went with him and they both, Charles and Sherman came home, but they were not the same. So sadly, Daniel was, was lost in action. Shortly after he enlisted, yes. He'd been wounded three times, twice, and then the third time, so he has three Purple Hearts. And then he was missing in action for 65 years. Yes. How did that loss affect your family over those many years? They didn't talk about it at all. And um, my grandparents, they are my great-grandparents, I should say, they, you know, they had pictures on the counter, but, you know, I was not born yet. But in the ensuing years, you have, um, you've learned a lot more about him. We sure have. We've, we've, we've been able to, we have a, a Facebook page now called The Hunts We Never Knew. And, um, and so we, we've, I've connected with so many people I didn't even know I was related to, well, 17, 17 children, you know, there's got to be a few people out there. <laughs> <laughs> So he was lost in Korea in 1951 and, and listed as missing in action. Yes. And then in 2016, your family received some closure when his remains were finally identified and returned to your family. Um, he was laid to rest with full military honors at the National Memorial C Cemetery here in Cave Creek yes. in 2016. Can you walk us through that experience was like? Oh. It, it was a whirlwind of emotion, um, excitement, and closure, like you said. It was, it was just um, to see, we, we had people fly in from all over the United States, that a family that we didn't know, and uh, we, we were able to share our sorrow, our, our excitement, and our, how thrilled we were with the reception he received. You had earlier talked about how uh, uh, when your mother received the call. Yes. That it even took her a few days to process what was happening. Exactly, and she she said that I I didn't believe it at first, and, and she, that's why I've waited to call you and to tell you because I thought they would, that it was a hoax or, you know, that they'd call me back and say, well, sorry, it wasn't really him. But then she called me and she goes, now what do I do, you know? And I'm like, well, let's figure it out, so. And, and you had some support from uh, people in the Department of Defense, is that correct, as, as his body yes. was returned? When he was being transported, he had um, a service woman that was with him on the flight. And as she said, this was the most emotional Thing that had ever happened to her when she was transporting with a body. And um, a, a, a Marine, I think she said it was a Marine, came up to him, her, while she was sitting in her seat. He kneeled down beside her chair and he gave her a ring. And he said, please give this to the family because I want them to know that, oh, I'm getting goosebumps <laughs> thinking about it. And please give this to the family because I know what they're going through. And he, she said he was in uniform and she was in her army uniform. And so I have the ring and I forgot to bring it. 
but it has the Lord's Prayer on it. So it's very, um, whenever I look at that ring, I think of, I mean, because it was in the very beginning when we experienced that, you know, it was on the plane when he was returning from Hawaii. So it turns out to be um, a, a sad bond, certainly, between families who've had this experience, but also it seems a, a strong bond oh. as well. Oh, it does. If someone else has gone through the same. They know how you how you feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just don't feel alone anymore. <laughs> no, I know it really does. I suppose national holidays like Memorial Day or Veterans Day are are, are they difficult? Are they just opportunities to reflect? Every day is Memorial reflect? Day. <laughs> yeah. Every day, and uh, also times when they're happy. Think marriages or yes, babies being born. Yes. You you always think of that person who who yes. isn't there anymore. I was just going to ask your your father. Sadly, is still missing in action, mm -hmm. and uh, you hope to receive that kind of a call someday. But you Definitely. and and your sister have have gone to Korea mm -hmm. um, in and his actually, honor, and, and we were actually able to be at the site where his parachute landed, or in the very in the very close close proximity, anyway. Um, and it it was something of some closure. Um, just to feel that we were, at one time, we would have been close to him. And we, we weren't certain um, that he wasn't buried around there somewhere. That, that was the, the question in my mind. Um, he was supposedly seen on the ground and his, the helicopter was trying to get to him, but when the helicopter got there, he was gone. And it, a returning a prisoner of war after the war was over said he thinks he saw him in Wonsan, but he couldn't really give his name. It was just the time, I think they they gave him some information about who it could have been, and he picked my dad. And it might just be because they're trying to help people get closure, because at least if you know they they have died, you can kind of get on with your life. But if you don't know, you always imagine kind of imagine the worst. That you, you hate to think someone you love could be in a hostile environment like that for years and years. And so you just have to live with uncertainty then. Right, yeah. I was hoping that I would find out during my mother's lifetime, but she died. I, like I said, I, did, I started this early 90s, and uh, she died 15 years ago. So I, I won't, she won't be able, but she knows now. <laughs> so. And it, so is there um, a part of the, the government, the Department of Defense, at least with limited capacity, working on trying to provide this kind of a closure? Is there someone you're in contact with? Oh, well, everyone has a casualty officer, and he's in contact with the DPAA. Um, but um, I, I believe they're trying. It's just that it just, it's so much slower than we wish. Um, when we discovered they were um, disinterring the remains at the punch bowl in Hawaii, I was encouraged because they sent, there were like 800, um, yeah, 800 people buried there, unknowns. And I thought there's a possibility that my dad would be among them. But I don't know how many they've disinterred so far, I think less than 100. And that's, it's been a couple, couple years, going on a couple years. But um, it would be nice if, if it could be quicker. And uh, my family's, we sent in our DNA, I suppose yes. your family did too. Yes, ours did too. Uh, uh, Charles, uh, he did. He went in and his, and another brother went at, uh, when he visited my mother, he went to the Luke Airfield base and got a DNA. So that was on file, so that, that really helped. 
that was the first thing I did was um, once I got my family's DNA, I, I made up a, a web page to attach to the Korean War Project web page to encourage people to, um, to donate their DNA. And amazingly, um, really with not, not thinking that it would be that successful, but actually it's over, it's almost, I think it's 93% complete when you consider um, how old <laughs> the people yeah. are getting. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... Well, it's great that, that science can come in and, and right. in some cases yes. provide that, that closure. Mm -hmm. uh, Janice, what would you like people to know about your father, Charles? Oh, well, that apparently he was a wonderful person. The, the story about him says everybody had the most wonderful personality. Everyone liked him. Um, it seemed like he was a very happy-go-lucky person. He enjoyed life um, immensely. Uh, he liked to drive fast cars. <laughs> he liked to fly, um, and I'm, I, he loved my mother and and us kids, <laughs> all, all of our family. What about your your great uncle, Daniel? Well, from what I've gleaned from the families that knew him, my mother's sister and my my mom, they they said you know he was hardworking, good-looking. The women loved him, and and he. Um, the, the thing that really is sad that he's never going to have that family. He's never going, he never experienced that. And I know that from what his soldier friends have said, that he is, um, he was determined to, if he was there, he was going to fight. And when he got wounded, he was, he returned sooner than he should have to the battlefield mm -hmm. and um, that's uh, the third time he was hit, uh, the first time he was hit in the head then he was had shrapnel and then he went out again and then that was the last time so that he wasn't there very long before this you know happened I mean I've got the original letter that that they sent my great-grandmother that he had been lost and she wrote back letters upon letters um, you know, uh, what, what can you tell me, what can you tell me, and um, because of all the information that I've read, we've gotten a little history book from the, from the military, which is, was good, but like I said, I, I never really met him, but my aunt told me he's, he was so good looking, <laughs> so, so young, so young, 18. Yeah. Well, sadly, I think that's something that uh, a lot of our fallen military service members have in common is they're young, they're they're so young and, and that's why it's so important for us to to share their memories right because they didn't have an opportunity to to make many more memories of of their own it, what would you like other Arizonans to know or to think about when they see that gold star license plate or they hear about a gold star family I guess, just like this here today, remembering that, that our dad w sacrificed for the better good um, or the greater good. You can't put into words of how you feel because it's, it's just an out of this world experience mm -hmm. for, for us or in our family. I mean, waiting for the body, the respect people gave and the, the um, color guards that came and th that was just 
They're so impressive. And people, <laughs> I mean, one thing we were we were on our way to the cemetery, and when we were there, because of the color guard, the traffic was stopped. And one thing that I will never forget, I got goosebumps again, mm. is we were at in Peoria, and we were going through a street light. And this one guy got out of his car. He had a red shirt on and blue jeans. I'll never forget it. He saluted the whole thing as we went by. Yeah. People got off of the expressways saluting. That was just, I mean, I, I, I mean we had the, the news reporter Alden Woods in our car with us. And, and he said that this was, I mean, he, he wrote the most gorgeous, beautiful articles. And E.J. Montini. And he, he wrote a good article. <laughs> So, um, it was, I mean, E.J. E. Matini's made me cry. Mm -hmm. It was so, it was so pretty, you know, and beautifully said. So, that's what I would want, is people to know, I mean, don't give up hope, but don't feel that, I, I, I know that they're trying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We talked earlier about the, the network of of people in similar situations and, and its importance. Can either of you talk more about uh, maybe a connection you've made with a, with a fellow Gold Star family? Knowing someone else has gone through what you've gone through, it makes a huge difference. And um, also appreciation that when people show appreciation, you were talking about the Gold Star uh, license plate, when people show appreciation for what your family did, that makes your life Light your load a little lighter, I think. Um, do you feel that way? I keep in touch, closer touch now with the family. Um, we talk about it, we share it, and and then I get the opportunity to go out and meet people like you. And I got, I met her at a at a. Uh, I didn't meet you at the memorial, yeah. but I did meet you at that uh, yeah. library in, in was it Scottsdale? At, uh, uh, Chandler Library, yeah, I think. Chandler, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and it was um, so. I mean, she, she, I don't know, for some reason, she is stuck in my mind. She's always been, I mean, I, when I think of hope, I think of you. Oh, and I, I you. really, I really do hope you get resolution. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> well, we thank you both for sharing your, uh, your stories with us, sharing your loved ones with us, and, and the fact that they served our nation in the name of freedom. Um, and made the ultimate sacrifice uh, is very meaningful uh, to me and, and to all of our viewers. So well, us too. Mm -hmm. us too. Thank you Thank both you. very much, and we wish you nothing but the best. Thank you. Good. Thank you. In conjunction with Suicide Prevention Month in September, the Department of Veterans Affairs launched Reach Out, a new campaign that raises awareness of the mental health resources available for veterans. Reach Out would like veterans, their families, friends, and caregivers to know they are not alone, and it only takes a moment to reach out and ask for help. Find resources and more information at reach.gov SPM. If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide, contact the Veterans Crisis Line for free confidential support 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Call 1-800-273-8255 and press 1, or text to 838-255, or chat online at veteranscrisisline.net.